It's Wednesday, January 9th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm here with Beth Perez and Christy Vizi, and we are talking a little bit more about Columbia specifically hosting children from Columbia and adoption of older children from Columbia. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Sassy and I were in the office at Fauna with Elena and we actually agreed to do a hosting camp almost last minute. And I know I gave uh, Beth probably heart failure that day, Uh, but it has really started something that has been a beautiful partnership that we have seen many children, especially older children, find forever families through. And so uh, last month in December, we were able to have another hosting group. And this time, instead of doing a camp, we actually hosted uh, in homes throughout the Southeast. And so we had several families that were hosting to adopt and several families that were hosting to advocate. And the VZs were one of the families that were actually hosting to advocate for uh, Andres, the little boy that was placed in their home. And so uh, we're excited to hear a little bit more about Andres and the VZs experience. But before we do, uh, Beth, tell us a little bit more just about kids camp that we just had here in December. How many kids, what the age ranges were, how long they were here, and and just a little bit more about this particular group of children. Absolutely. So we had 21 children come from Columbia to the United States. Uh, They were here for actually two weeks, and they lived with their host families during that time. They are prepared that this is more like a student exchange program or cultural immersion classes, so they're prepared for this to be an experience to learn English, to learn U.S. culture, because it was around Christmas. Many of them celebrated Christmas and birthdays, so that was really fun to see, and they got during that time we get to know the children we get to know their their personalities and their desires and it's just a really neat opportunity for us to turn around and advocate for their future families we had the 21 children ranging all the way from five years old to 16 years old um we had three sibling groups that attended four sibling groups that attended and two of them had two children and then two sibling groups had four children in each of those so we had a pretty strong variety of different like individual kids sibling groups older kids younger kids some children with special needs so it really honestly just was a big variety of children who who all need forever families and the children obviously they they ranged in ages and so Mm -hmm. We had teenagers and we also had younger children. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the particular sibling groups of four was a group that you and yes. uh, Oscar and I and Ashley and our family uh, met in Montezales. And one of the things that really struck us about that group when we met them in Montezales and we requested that they be hosted mm-hmm. because of that, that time of meeting them was that uh, the oldest was separated from the youngest. Yes. And even one of the things that this hosting has allowed us to do is not just with this sibling group, but with all of these kids, be able to see them in a home type environment, Mm -hmm. but also be able to get them some more specialized care, especially for this sibling group, to be able to know what's going on. So talk about why that's so important to have these children in these homes. And because I think at first you can think of hosting as, well, they're gonna be here for two weeks, they're gonna get a great taste, and then they're gonna have to go home. Absolutely. Without really any hope that for sure they're gonna be adopted. But what is that great benefit like for the sibling group of four? So with these four specifically, 
like you said, they were separated. They are from five to 10 years old. So they're very young children. And the younger three don't have any predefined medical special needs. But the older one had been labeled with what we believe to be a misdiagnosis. And a lot of that is just due to sometimes with um, the children being in care, they may be doing their very best in the country to help identify children's needs. Um, but we believe that this was labeled incorrectly. So in bringing them to the United States, they were, the government was at the point where they were about to split them into two different families for adoption. And with siblings, we firmly believe that they need to be together if at all possible. And um, when it's possible, it's really beneficial for the children long-term mm. to have that sibling relationship. And um, so in that vein, we just asked, before you separate them, can we bring them to the United States and have them evaluated, us get to know them, see how close they are to one another. We get to observe how bonded they are. We get to observe how much they don't wanna be separated, um, that they want to be together. And then we were able, the host family was able to actually take him it was amazing. This uh, neuro, a pediatric neuropsychologist met him at a basketball game and said, I would love to open up my time in my schedule tomorrow. Can you come tomorrow? And we were all like, yes. So we all got to go to the doctor and she evaluated and said the exact same thing. He was on the wrong medications and he had a misdiagnosis. So she went through and did a thorough evaluation. And now that's going to give us the opportunity to advocate for them to stay together, but also for this older boy to be treated based on his special needs, um, which were much more mild than originally anticipated. So this is going to turn around and make this their long-term impact so much more significant because he will be obviously treated better. But then in addition to that, we can hope we can find them a forever family together. Yeah, and I know a lot of what happens in this hosting is preparation. And yes. so uh, obviously, and, and we're gonna talk to Christy here in a minute, mm -hmm. the host families are prepared but the children are also prepared. Yes. And that's one of the reasons we like this hosting program with Columbia. So talk about the preparation of these children yes. coming in, that they all come to Bogota, mm -hmm. what that preparation looks like and how even they are, are helped to know that this is not a, you know, a, an advertisement or right. a, a, their opportunity to try to find a family. Right. So talk a little bit more about the preparation. So with the preparation, it's incredible actually when you get down to the details. So what happens is the children will be from all over the country and actually half of the children in Columbia um, system are in foster care and the other half are in institutions. So they're coming from different places, but they come to Bogota and that's where we do a two week pre-camp. During that two week pre-camp, they are practicing English. They're learning US customs and norms. Um, it's gonna help prepare them to be, help them be less anxious but also to get the ball rolling on the cultural immersion that they're gonna experience here. And I think that significantly reduces anxiety. And in addition to that, it makes them really excited and understanding maybe why do we do things differently in the United States. So um, it just kind of helps. And then during that time too, they will go um, to different parks and have some playtime. And then they'll have like English lessons. So their days are really structured during that time. They're also getting their visas to come here, which is great. And then um, during that time too, they get to Skype their host families. So the host families, and Christy can explain more of this, but they get to write a letter and they get to send an invitation letter that we're so excited to host you. And so in that time period, they're being prepared for the person that they're just gonna host them. So that way they're excited, they're not less nervous, they know where they're going. 
Um, and it gives them just this deep connection from the beginning, I feel like, and this opportunity to get to know their family in advance. Yeah, and you and Josh and Oscar and I were able to yeah. actually go to Fana, Fana as part of the preparation and get to see even Andres, who the mm -hmm. VZs were able to host. We were able to see that preparation. It's with a psychologist. Uh, Columbia takes this very seriously because yes. they certainly don't want to mislead these children. Right. And they don't want to mislead the families either, which is why they want to make sure that these families have been prepared and that they know the intentions of the families uh, up ahead. So, yes. uh, Christy, I know that you and Jonathan recently actually even adopted from Columbia, and the Lord put that on your family's heart. But why did you guys decide to host uh, for this camp? So we brought our son Jude home from Columbia in March, and I'm actually a big fangirl of the Defender podcast, and so I had been listening uh, over the summer while um, the Newell family was in Columbia, and just heard about different ways to continue advocating. Um, we had just had such an encouraging experience with our adoption and desired for that to be just a part of our lives um, forever in advocating for the vulnerable and particularly in Columbia as that, that is just um, part of our heartbeat now. And so that's where we first learned of the opportunity to host and we had also recently just bought our first home and started reading Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and she really explores mm -hmm. the idea of radically ordinary hospitality in which we invite people into our homes and into our lives. And so we had been praying about what does that look like for us. And for us, uh, adoption, again, at this point is is not on the table uh, since we have such a recent adoption um, and we are also expecting baby number two in February but we uh, also were, have been challenged just over the years um, from the teaching of David Platt while he was at Brook Hills um, and he talks um, you know in his sermons and in his book Radical um, about um, spending 2% of your time serving in another context and that, that uh, changes the, other, the way that you live the other 98% of your mm -hmm. life. And so um, we recognize that um, it was, this is two weeks mm -hmm. um, and even if it wasn't, it's, it's never going to be a convenient um, time, mm -hmm. but, um, but it's two weeks out of our lives that could potentially and hopefully Lord willing, change the life of a child um, forever. Mm. And certainly, we know that this little guy uh, came, and, and one of the things that when we saw him, even in Columbia, is we saw that he had a very calm demeanor. Uh, but even as we've been talking, you know, one of the things that you've talked about is that anytime he tries to express pain, it comes out physically. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that just even talking about rearranging your life is he asked to end up, I believe, sleeping in your room yes. because he had never slept by himself in a room. Yes. And so you had to you had to open up your homes and your hearts. But just talk about the experience overall and in Andres specifically. Sure. So we are just super thankful for the training that we have received through Lifeline in preparation for our adoption and then through hosting, but I feel like we were just so well equipped uh, to meet the needs of 
just a hurting, scared, vulnerable child because mm-hmm. of uh, because of the training that we had up front. And uh, so, Andres, um, oh my goodness, it's just been such a joy to just study him and see his personality and just have him in our home for the past um, two weeks that he was that he was here. Um, and he is he's very shy he's very slow to warm up um but he is he has a level of awareness that is uncommon for a 13 year old boy Uh, the second day that he was here he was playing a game on my phone and um, I sat down on the couch to fold some laundry and I was not even expecting him to really be aware that I sat down because I know how attention grabbing phones can be um you know not to mention for a teenage boy he uh, looked over, he saw what I was doing, he put my phone down, and in the cutest little Colombian accent, he said, you help, which <laughs> meant, mm-hmm. I want to help you, and he scooted over and helped me fold clothes, and uh, just the whole time he was here, just very um, very aware and wanting to help uh, push Jude's stroller, get him out of the car, help carry in the groceries, and so um, he's, he's quiet, and he's introverted, but he's he's constantly studying um, his environment. And um, I would say also, uh, like you were mentioning, um, we've noticed that um, there have been several times when um, he has started to shut down. And we've noticed that you know when we ask him or I'll just observe, you know, you seem mm-hmm. a little sad. And he immediately will say, oh, my, my wrist is hurting or my stomach is hurting. Mm. And, um, and talking with his chaperone, Tatiana, and, um, who's also a psychologist and just unbelievably well-equipped, um, just recognizing that he probably doesn't even know what he's feeling or re- understand how to process um, his feelings um, just because of the just intense trauma that he has um, experienced in his short life. So um, that's been just eye-opening for us. And um, uh, so that's just a little bit about Andres. Um, Well, so as we even look at Andres and some of the things that he's been through, and I, I think really when you even look at it, as a host family, and, and I think you would agree, Christy, that really you and Jonathan have, while well, I've done activities and been part of picnics, really it's just living life with him and letting him see real life. And that's, that's so important for these kids to see that America is, is not a place where uh, life is just happy-go-lucky, but there are chores, there's things to do, there's responsibility. And so uh, Beth, talk a little bit mm. about just the impact that this experience has on these kids, how these kids are shaped, and yeah. and what are they going back to Columbia with after this experience? Yeah, it's very impactful in so many ways. Um, I actually live in Bogota, and I get to see the kids before, then I get to come here, <laughs> see them during, and then I get to go back after and really work with them in many ways and so watch their adoption processes and it's so humbling to be part of it and experience it with the children but um so obviously they're walking away with an experience here um a relationship one 
And two, I think just observing, like you said, like um, the, the normal American lifestyle, not what we see on TVs in Columbia, not the movies, not Disney World. We ask families to keep things pretty mild and low key as much as possible. Obviously going to the zoo and doing fun things like that because that's what a family does, <laughs> but not going to like Disney World and showering them with gifts. And we want them to see that a family doesn't mean things, that it means people and time. And so those, those deep things, but obviously they're children and they're processing and they're learning. Um, there's actually a post camp. So like when the kids go back for a couple of days, if not even a week or two, up to a week or two at times, they'll be able to debrief and process with their psychologists and counselors what happened and what did they learn and what are they experiencing, what are they feeling before they have to return back to their original homes. And so during that time, obviously, is when we use it as an advocacy tool. And it's really so cute when I get to meet the kids, especially like if I get to, if they live in Bogota, I get to check on them regularly. If not, then I get to see them at the end during their adoption process. And um, now that we've been doing this a year or two, I've been able to see the other side when the kids come home mm. and when they're matched with their forever families and they get it. Like, it's not like, oh, you host me so that like, you know, but it's more of like, this is my aunt and uncle who hosted me. That's what they'll call them a lot of time or godparents who hosted mm. me. And especially if it's an advocate family and they get to see that they were part of their story mm. and that they helped find their forever family. And that was their role. And so it's really sweet. A lot of the times the kids will keep the photo albums. And when I see them, they'll run up and be like, this was this time. It's a, it's a forever memory that these children would never have had the opportunity to travel the United States to learn or to meet other people. And it has a deep impact on their lives. And so they'll show me and be like, this is when my aunt took me to the zoo. This is when my aunt, you know, and my uncle did this and, you know, things like that. And I just can see them totally like just processing it and appreciating and loving this time here. Um, sometimes it is a little challenging, obviously, for them to return back. But when they are adopted and they are home and getting to see it all click, it, it's amazing to see that moment where it's like, okay, now I'm with my forever family and this is what it's going to look like. And they have a little taste in advance of what that's going to look like. Right. And obviously the VZs are in Birmingham, but, but the host families didn't have to yeah. be in Alabama or be in no. Birmingham. So where have the host families been yes. for this camp? So we've pretty much hunkered down a little bit more in the southeast this time. This was our first time to really expand. We've done it before in the state of Texas or like a camp here in Birmingham, like a camp camp here in Birmingham. So this time we decided let's expand our borders <laughs> a little bit. And it's been Louisiana, Alabama, North Florida, um, Georgia, and North and South Carolina mm. this time. So we, we hit the southeast corridor um, just wanting to expand little by little as we do this in the future. Yeah. And so Christy, why would you encourage other families to host? Obviously you and Jonathan got to show gospel hospitality to Andres mm -hmm. and gospel hospitality leads to gospel proclamation. But yes. if others are listening like you did this summer, why, how would you encourage them to get involved and why would you encourage them to host? I would say, first of all, because there is a great need, mm -hmm. uh, simply because there is a great need. And I would also say that um, I, I experienced firsthand the reminder that um, our lives, they're not about us or our comfort. And I started having some, a little bit of anxiety leading up to um, our time with Andres as I just realized the reality of, oh my goodness, it's 
Um, it's Christmas time. It's our first Christmas as parents with our son, and I'm eight months pregnant. And <laughs> what were we thinking? And um, I'm so thankful for, first of all, for my husband who just leads us so well in um, pushing outside of our comfort zone for the sake of, um, for the vulnerable. And uh, when we had the opportunity to Skype with Andres before he came and we were asking him, we were telling him some things that we were planning on doing, we were asking him if there was anything in particular that he wanted to do while he was here, um, his just one request and um, it, just the thing he was most excited about and he said was I'm really just very excited to spend time with a family and he mm. just wanted to know if we enjoyed spending time together and that was really an earth-shattering moment for me where I was confronted with like this is not about you Christy and it's not about your comfort and um so I would just challenge families. Of course, there are there are seasons where it's important to um, to have closed doors um, in in your home. But I would just um, challenge families to consider um, the difference between inconvenient and impossible um, for the sake of um, these children, and just to prayerfully um, consider um, what that looks like for your family. And and um, if if it ends up that it really is not a season for you. Maybe you, you can identify some families who um, would be in a place to do that and you can support them. We have been so overwhelmingly um, encouraged by the support we've received from um, our growth group at our um, home church Christ Fellowship and just the community in general. I We've had meals provided for us every single, every single night that Andres has been here. People who have wanted to um, you know, give him clothes and um, just uh, provide in other ways and people reaching out daily saying that they are praying for him. And we are just so grateful for just the way that we've seen our community get involved with this um, advocacy process as well. <clears throat> Amen. And I think that just even as we come off of Christmas and starting a new year, what a great reminder that we have a savior that was inconvenienced mm -hmm. for us. And we see these families who are inconveniencing themselves. Jonathan and Christy with their very first Christmas uh, with Jude home as parents, inconvenienced in order that this little boy could come, but blessed, overwhelmed, only overwhelmingly blessed uh, because of the opportunity. And so our prayer is that all of these kids would experience uh, not just the gospel hospitality of a family, and not just the, the, the family, but what a beautiful picture for Andres to see the, the overwhelming support of the body of Christ. And that's really what it's all about, to see that this is a church mm -hmm. that, that loves one another, that cares for one another, uh, with many different faces coming that are proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see both sides because I'm sure, and, and we know that as well, Beth, that, that he was nervous, that, that these children are nervous to come. Uh, just like faith, it's a nerve-wracking process to uh, trust um, and to have faith and to walk. And such a beautiful picture of the gospel that we see walked out and lived out through this hosting. And so I would just continue to encourage, as we have more hostings uh, for families who are host to advocate, that would just get engaged on behalf of these kids. And, and I love what Christy said, be willing to be inconvenienced for a season in order to uh, give these children an opportunity of a lifetime. So uh, as we close, 
Beth, just tell us a little bit more about how can people get engaged at this point, mm -hmm. and if they are interested in not just hosting these kids, but maybe uh, adopting some right. of these kids that were host to advocate, what's the next step? Absolutely. So we are in the process of advocating for many of the children who were hosted. Many of them were being are being adopted by their host families, and probably the other half we're still advocating for. So we are going out within social media, churches, communities, trying to figure out where is the Lord leading us and where is the family that he has for each child. And so if you are interested in learning more on how to help us advocate for these children, or you're interested in adoption yourself, we would love for you to contact us. We have the means of social media, but also you can email me anytime at beth.perez at lifelinechild.org. I would love nothing more than to talk through each child with you guys. They're each so special. They have such sweet memories and got to see their beautiful personalities come out. And like you were saying, just how the Lord's working. I, we, we are all here to serve you guys in any way possible. And I just want to put another plug in for advocation and prayer. And so even last month, yeah. we had another little 13-year-old boy, and I have a 14-year-old son, and the two of them had gotten very close to the camp, and he needed a family. And so my wife and I were talking, and we're like, well, should we even consider uh, breaking birth order and bringing him into our family? And so what we said is, let's pray for him. And we specifically prayed that if it be the Lord's will, that three families would be interested in him. Uh, and, and it was kind of the fleece we put out. And three days later, three yeah. families were interested. Mm -hmm. And so we just can't underscore the importance of prayer and Absolutely. advocacy. And advocacy is not just going on social media. Absolutely. It's not just telling your next door neighbor, but it's advocating from your knees on behalf of these children because God is sovereign. He has a place for them. And so at the same time, like the, the VZs hosted little Andres and you'll see his picture and you'll hear about him. And he's precious and I've seen him. He is one of the most precious 13 year old boys I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've worked with tons of junior high kids, but it doesn't mean that he's naturally a great fit for your family. So pray to the Lord to advocate even, Lord, is this a step that you would have us to take through adoption or uh, to be praying on behalf of the right family at the right time to come forward for these children. Well, we thank you ladies for being here and just pray that this is an encouragement both to those that may have in your heart to adopt or in your heart to host. And please always contact us to see how you can get engaged on behalf of the children of Columbia, the children of the world, and the children here of the United States. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel for you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.